A benediction is an ending, but it is not the end of the matter. Let us pray. Father, as we come to these last verses of our study and our consideration of your word in the letter to the Hebrews, Lord, send us out with your benediction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, we'll be reading verses 20 through 21, 20 and 21, and also verse 25. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then down to verse 25. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We have come to the end of this sermon series on Hebrews Hold Fast in Christ for 28 Sundays. The author, pastor of this letter, has declared to us the excellencies and preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has exhorted us not to forsake Christ, but to hold fast in him by faith. He has warned us against apostasy. Today we come to the end of the letter, but not the end of the story. At the end of each worship service, Derek and I pronounce a benediction. And sometimes we actually use the benediction that is our set of verses for today. Well, what is a benediction? One commentator defines a benediction simply as this, good words. Good words that invoke God to bless his people. The benediction is not some mere formality or some ritual that, that we go through at the end of the service, but it is a necessary element of worship. The benediction sends God's people out with the confidence and assurance of his presence and his blessing. Dr. Derek Thomas gives this understanding of a benediction, and I quote, benedictions are gospel words. They remind us at the end of the service that we receive the blessings of God's covenant because Christ received its curse. After every service of worship, we conclude with a reminder that as Christians, we live under the shade of the Almighty, taking refuge beneath his wings because wonder of wonders, we are free from condemnation of sin, end quote. Hebrews ends with a benediction. The author, pastor, and his viewed his flock as desperately needing their pastor to pronounce God's presence and blessing on them because they desperately needed it. After all that the author has written about the preeminence of Christ teaching a high 
Christology, a high doctrine of Christ, after all the exhortations to hold fast in Christ by faith, not wavering under the threat of suffering if they did not forsake Christ and return to Judaism. After the various warnings of apostasy, he ends with this benediction that is not the end of the matter. In the face of pressure to abandon Christ, the author pronounces the good and true gospel words upon his congregation, sending them out to live with confidence and assurance of God's blessings and his presence. Those believers then, and believers like you and me now, need to be sent out to live in this world with confidence and assurance with the good and true words, gospel words, concerning God, concerning Jesus, and concerning hope. And those are really our three points today. On page seven, you will find a sermon outline. Benedictions are endings, but they're not the end of the matter. They are pronounced to be received by God's people for God's people to persevere in holding fast in Christ by faith with confidence and assurance that all they need, God's presence and his blessings, they have as they live in the midst of this world. These good and true gospel words give us confidence. They assure us of God's presence and blessing by teaching us, reminding us about God and about Jesus and about hope, really about grace. I hope you've caught that and I hope you'll find that after you leave this worship of service today and you reflect upon the message and upon this text that you will see that every hymn that has been sung, even what the choir did, has some reference to this benediction. What do we learn about God that assures, up, uh, assures us of his presence and blessing? When tragedy strikes, our hearts are broken and we grapple with understanding. And our lives are often shaken to the core. The death of a child like the Feller family has suffered. So many of us know this family in this situation is difficult. It's hard to understand. A diagnosis of a disease or the loss of a job, just, just to name a few, can cause us to question God, even to become angry at him. We need good and true gospel words to give us confidence and assurance of God's presence and blessing even when our lives are shaken to the core. The God of peace 
The benediction begins, now may the God of peace, look at verse 20. The Bible speaks of God's peace being central in the lives of his people. And we need it for so much of this world is not at peace. In fact, so much of our lives may not be at peace. And we need to be reminded that God is a God of peace. In what way is peace central to the believer? Sinners like you and me were enemies of God. We were objects of his wrath. And yet, we have been reconciled to him out of love through the Lord Jesus Christ. Enemies become saints. Hear these good gospel words from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even, even to die. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Are you reconciled to God this morning through Christ? Since we have peace with God by being reconciled to him through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to have confidence and assurance, not only of our salvation, which is chief, no doubt, but also of his presence and his blessing accompanying us every step of the way. All the blessings that flow from the saving benefits of the Lord Jesus are for you and for me as the redeemed. The God of power, the, the power of God is, is preeminently displayed in the power of the resurrection. That's what our author says in verse 20. It says that God brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, verse 20. Peter preached at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 33. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we, are, we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing now. God raised up the Lord Jesus, the power of the resurrection. In chapter 7 of Hebrews, that also quotes some of Psalm 110, the author declared uh, Jesus was raised from the realm of death by the power of God and exalted to the right hand of the Father where he serves as our great high priest and king forever, ever making intercession for us. What a blessing. Since God is powerful to raise the Lord Jesus from the grave and exalt him to his right hand, we are assured of his power to raise us to new life. Look at Romans 6. Look at John 3. And not only that, but to shower us with blessing. May we be like the Apostle Paul who said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Do you know the power of his resurrection? God with a plan. May God, verse 20, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. We hold to the biblical teaching of the sovereignty of God. As our confession teaches, God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. This means he has ordained everything to fulfill his purpose, his will, his plan. In scripture, God reveals his plan. He doesn't reveal everything about it but he reveals aspects of it. God has not revealed everything. He has a secret will that remains unknowable. Look at Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. Why a young child will be taken in death from his family and from his friends and and from our community as part of God's secret will. We may never know the full answer to that question, all the dynamics of that question. But God has revealed his will in Scripture pertaining to what he wants us to know about him, about man, about us, and about life, and about godliness, and particularly about salvation. His will, his plan for his elect may be summarized in simply this, our greatest good. Is that not astounding? (laughs) That creator God, uh, the almighty, would have a plan that might be summarized in our greatest good and his glory, of course. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verses, uh, beginning with verse uh, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to to the purpose of his will. And then Philippians 2.13, God works in us that his will would come about, in particular, his will for us to be sanctified progressively. When we're united to Christ, we are called holy We are sanctified in that sense, but we're also progressively made more and more like Jesus. And Paul says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. God has a plan, and that plan is to bless us for our eternal good. He sovereignly works in us, equipping us to do his will for his good pleasure. And then 
the God of glory. Look at verse 21, at the very end of verse 21, to him, to, I'm sorry, to whom be glory forever and ever. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we all know, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As we receive the blessing of God's power in equipping us to do his will for his good pleasure, he is glorified and we live for his glory. And his glory is to be our highest aim. When we live for his glory, we find that when he is glorified, our greatest good is met. John Piper said it this way, quote, Therefore, Christian hedonists do not put their happiness above God's glory. They put their happiness in God himself and discover the glorious truth that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The benediction, the good and true gospel words give us confidence and assure us of God's blessings. Because he is a God of peace. He is a God of power. He is a God with a plan. And he is a God who is going to get the glory. And when his glory is met, our greatest good is met as well. Well, what do we learn about Jesus that assures us that he has accomplished everything needed for God to bless us through him? The men at the retreat this weekend were reminded, what, were, what was the reminder, men? We are not enough. <laughs> and in particular, we are not enough to be the kind of husbands our wives need. No amens, please. You guys are slow this morning. We are not enough as fathers, we are not enough as friends, we are not enough as churchmen, we are not enough. And, and Bob Smart, our conference speaker, said, encouraged us, embrace the sorrow of that. Say, yeah, I'm not enough. Repent. Well, actually, I understood what Bob was saying is that when we embrace the sorrow, that leads us to repentance. That leads us to forgiveness. That leads us to rest upon Christ and to trust him. And I want to build on that idea of not being enough. The Bible clearly tells us we are not enough to be justified. We're not enough to be in right standing before God. We are not enough to save ourselves. We're not enough to save anybody else for that matter. The Bible clearly tells us we're not enough. And if we stand on our hope that we are enough, we stand condemned. We need to hear, we're not enough, but Jesus is enough. That's what we need to hear. Verse 20, Jesus is Lord. Our writer says, our Lord Jesus. The, the, the title Lord declares Jesus' lordship over all. And... <laughs> If Jesus is Lord over all, he is Lord over you and me. We don't invite him to be Lord. We don't open our heart to him to be Lord. He comes like a mighty warrior king and conquers us and sets up his reign in our hearts. 
Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Paul said further in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. We are bought with a price. Paul said to the elders in Ephesus, upon leaving them, men, remember that the church of Jesus Christ was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a believer. You have an inheritance in heaven. You are redeemed for one reason. You've been bought, lock, stock, and barrel by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his blood. You're not your own. You're the Lord's. He's your master. We are his, and he's promised to never let us go. In John 10, 28 through 29, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus is not going to say, I want a refund. Jesus' lordship over us, his ownership of us, his grip on us gives us great confidence great assurance that God will bless us through him. Jesus is the shepherd. Look at verse 20 again. The great shepherd of the sheep. This is the only place in the letter the title shepherd has been used of Jesus. Verse 20 may be an allusion uh, to Isaiah 63, 11, that is in the Septuagint version where it says where where is he who brought up out of the sea the shepherd of the sheep and this refers to God raising Moses the shepherd of the sheep and Israel as the flock from the Red Sea in the Exodus events and here the author obviously is using this of Jesus being the second Moses who fulfills perfectly what is pictured back in in the Exodus by doing everything necessary that we would be raised to newness of life, possessing everlasting life. Jesus' statement in John 10 and verse 11 is at the heart of his work as our shepherd. He said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, throughout Hebrews, we've been studying about Jesus as, as the, the great high priest, the priest who is the ultimate priest, who is greater than the ironic, ironic priesthood. Jesus, Jesus is the priest who offered a sacrifice, and he offered himself as the sacrifice for our redemption. Hebrews 2.17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest 
in the service of God to make propitiation, to make atonement for the sins of his people. And then in Hebrews 9, 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Through him, the redeemed walk in newness of life. Our, our great shepherd makes us new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The great shepherd's work is our confidence and assurance of blessing through him because he laid down his life for us that we would be in his sheepfold. And if we are in his sheepfold and we are following him as the shepherd, to use another imagery in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine and everyone who abides in me, I abide in them. Jesus established the new covenant. Again, look at verse 20. By the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus as the mediator of a better covenant is central, has been central to our study of the letter to the Hebrews. For example, chapter 7, verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor, the mediator of a better covenant. The, the great shepherd of the sheep was raised to establish this new and eternal covenant by his blood, by means of his blood. And the commentator F.F. F. Bruce remarks, I quote, his resurrection is a demonstration that his sacrifice of himself has been accepted by God and the new covenant established on the basis of that sacrifice. But now a better sacrifice has been offered and the new covenant ratified thereby is superior to the older one in this respect among the others, that it endures forever. It is a, an eternal covenant. The phrase by the blood of the covenant that we find in verse 20 may very well be based on the passage that Brandon read earlier from Zechariah chapter 9, in particular verse 11. As for you also, because of the blood of the covenant with you, I will set your prisoner free from the waterless pit. The great shepherd of the sheep established a new and better covenant by his blood. He lives and reigns at the right hand of the Father. He is continually interceding for us as our great high priest that we would be freed from the waterless pit, that we would be free from Satan, free from sin, free from eternal death, the second death. Again, from Hebrews 7 and verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen, dear folk, the men aren't enough and the ladies aren't enough. The children aren't enough. No one is enough. And we greatly need to be reminded that Jesus is enough. He is our great high priest who is at the right hand of the Father ever interceding for us. He is the mediator of a new and better covenant, an eternal covenant. Don't trust 
your performance or works righteousness to be right with God. You're not enough. But Jesus is. And now we turn to hope. What do we learn about hope that assures us of receiving God's blessing? We will end this final sermon in Hebrews not with the amen that you'll find at the end of verse 21, but actually we'll skip down to verse 25, and there you will find a very short verse with these words, grace be with you all. Have you ever read a book or watched a movie and you get to the end of it and you're let down? It's just really anticlimactic. It's like, ooh, I need to have a better ending here. I can name a few, but I'm going to refrain. And I want you to think poorly of me. After all that has been said about the preeminence of Christ, and after the incredible benediction that we've just studied in verses 21 or 20 and 21, the letter ends with just these few words, grace be with you all. Almost seems like an afterthought, like a filler. But this ending is not at all anticlimactic. It is a fitting end. It is a profoundly glorious end to this letter that, that reflects the heart of a pastor for his struggling people whom he has exhorted time and time again to hold fast in Christ by faith. And they need to be reminded that there's only one anchor that's going to hold. And that one anchor that is going to hold is behind the veil where behind the veil is all the grace that you need for life and godliness for salvation for sanctification for living the Christian life the ending pronounces the only hope on God's people the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and this verse I believe summarizes this ending grace be with you all Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain, behind the veil, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The anchor behind the veil the resurrected and ascended great high priest and mediator of a new and better covenant is the only anchor for our souls that will hold. He has the grace we so desperately need. This is why in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the author pastor said to his congregation, and he says to you and me, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is there dispensing grace. Jesus is there as the anchor of our souls that will never fail. Grace always flows from him. It will never dry up. 
will you go to him? The anchor of our performance and works righteousness will never hold. The anchor of other people that we might trust will never hold. The religions, even Christianity, even the tenets of the Reformed faith that we put our trust in, just as a doctrinal system, will never hold. Humanism will not hold. Idols will not hold. Material possessions as anchors will never hold. These are just a few. If we trust in these things, we'll have no hope at all and we'll be condemned for eternity. Jesus is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, the only hope. And today, if your hope is not in him, I, I invite you to consider that you're not enough, that all your good works are not enough, that who you know is not enough, that your, your, your religious rituals are not enough. Even coming to this worship service is not enough. They're not anchors that are going to hold. They'll give way. And you'll be left adrift. Actually, not adrift. You'll be drifting straight to hell, to put it bluntly. And I would encourage you to turn to him. Turn to Jesus. Turn to the anchor that will hold, will always hold behind the veil, who has all the grace that you need. Grace to forgive your sin. Grace to give you a new life. Grace to raise you up to newness of life. Grace to give you the inheritance of heaven. Will you turn to him? Trust him. Be anchored to him. And there are many of us here today that know Jesus savingly. Praise God for that. The grace be with you all means you too. <laughs> means me. We, we need to hear that there's an anchor behind the veil that will hold. We need to hear that every Sunday in one way or another as we invoke God to, to bless us as we go forth to live in this world where the current is very strong against godliness, where the current is very strong against faith in Christ, where the current is very strong against the Bible. We need to hear that there's an anchor that holds. And that anchor is the Lord Jesus, our great high priest, our guarantor, the mediator of a new and better covenant that is behind the veil in heaven that is ever there interceding for us to dispense all the grace that we need. We need to hear that. You know, there's a member who really blessed me with a little volume. Ever so, uh, I was going to bring it, but I, I didn't. But you can come to my office and see it. It's just a little volume, and it is a collection of benedictions from Ralph Davis, Dr. Davis. It's, it's no accident that the title for this collection of his benedictions over years of ministry is entitled with these words. Guess what the title is? Grace with you all. Grace be with you. It's a fitting and glorious end. It points us to the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, Jesus, our great high priest and mediator of a new and better covenant. It is our hope 
and we need that message of hope so desperately each Lord's Day as the service ends. Because when we walk out those doors, where are we going? To a hopeless world where the current is trying to move us from Christ and from faith. And we need to have hope that there is an anchor that will hold, hold us fast in Christ. A benediction is an ending that is not the end of the matter because it's what we need as we go forth to live in this world. Today, would you receive the Lord Jesus? Today, would you receive the Lord Jesus' benediction? Would you embrace would you receive the good and true gospel words about God and about Jesus and about this hope of an anchor that will never, ever fail? To live in this world as God's people, we need confidence and assurance. And that's why Derek and I are committed to pronouncing God's benediction upon us at the end of every service. The benediction ends the service, but it's not the end of the matter. Let us go forth with the confidence and assurance of God's presence and his blessing. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can study Hebrews for 29 Sundays. So many people don't even have a full copy of the Bible. And we have the privilege of studying through the Bible on a regular basis. And we are grateful that you've given us your word. And that we live in a place where we're free to study the word of God, to teach it, to, to declare it. And Father, I pray that the words of this letter to the Hebrews might resonate in our hearts. Would you do that, O Holy Spirit? And I pray that as we receive the benediction in just a moment, that we might go forth having received it, confident and sure of your presence and blessing. Pray this in his name. Amen.